2 Peter chapter 1. The title of my message this morning from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15 is, Why does the pastor continually preach the gospel? Why does the pastor continually preach the gospel? If I had to give a subtitle, I think a fitting title might be, Help! Our pastor is a broken record. 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse 12, Peter writes under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, I think it necessary, as long as I am in this tabernacle, in this body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that certainly I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. If we are to properly understand what Peter is saying in these four verses, we must distinguish what he is speaking of when he says these things. Wherefore, Peter says in verse 12, I will not be negligent, I will not be careless to put you in remembrance of these things, though you know them. And then verse 15, Peter says, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Now it is obvious that the Apostle Peter wants those to whom he is writing to fully comprehend certain truths that they are already familiar with because he says there in verse 12, you already know them. So the question of all questions is, what are the truths he is stimulated to put them in remembrance of so that they will always have such things in remembrance. Do you see the emphasis of the word remembrance in verse 12, 13, and 15? Peter says, verse 12, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. 13, I think it necessary to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Verse 15, moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able to have these things always in remembrance. And I can't help but chuckle at the fact that Peter mentions the word remembrance three times. And if you know anything about Peter's life, ministry, and habits, you will remember that the number three is Peter's identifying number. If he wore a jersey, his number would be three. Remember, remember, remember. So back to our question. What are the, these things that he is speaking of? Well, if you've been in attendance the past four weeks, you know exactly what they are. That these things that Peter desires to etch on the tables of their hearts and submit at the forefront of their minds are the gospel truths that have been emphasized in verses 1 through 11. What Peter is saying is this, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always 
in remembrance of the gospel. The message of God justifying by faith through the righteousness of Christ. Peter is saying, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance that the message of salvation is according to the divine power of Christ, which includes God effectually calling others to himself by the power of the Spirit. Peter is saying, I think it is necessary for me as a minister of Christ to stir you up by putting you into remembrance of how God converts sinful men through the gospel. How God saves his sheep from the sinful influences of the world by his electing grace. Peter is saying, moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able to remember always that true faith in Jesus Christ will always lead to a true love for Christ. True faith in Jesus Christ will always lead to an intimate knowledge of Christ. True faith in Christ will always lead to a personal desire to live by the precious promises that are recorded in his word. Do you see Peter's resolve? Do you see Peter's pastoral desire? In verses 12 through 15, Peter is telling other believers that he is purposely repeating the characteristics of true faith to them, even though they know it, so that they might know it. Do you see that? Peter has zero shame in teaching the various characteristics of the gospel over and over and over again. Peter has no regrets in constantly preaching the different features of biblical salvation in their ears, even though they know it and have heard it many times before. And if you've been under the sound of my teaching for any length of time, I think you will recognize this morning that I purposely practice the same preaching philosophy of Peter, namely preaching the same truths regarding what true faith in Christ is and what true faith in Christ looks like to those who claim to believe it. And I'm hoping you will recognize this morning that what I am doing is not unnecessary and unbiblical. It is necessary and biblical. So if you've ever wondered why the pastor is constantly preaching the gospel, if you've ever wondered why he is always preaching truths regarding the ruin of sin, the redemption of Christ, and the regeneration of the Spirit from every text. If you've ever wondered why he's repeating the same truths over and over and over again, now you know. God, through Peter, teaches us that it is absolutely necessary for gospel ministers to stir up God's people in remembrance of gospel truths. Now, having established this truth in the time that we have together this morning, I want to give you eight biblically fashioned reasons why such a practice is necessary. Why is it necessary for gospel ministers to continually preach the gospel to a church? What are the motivating reasons that would provoke a preacher, a pastor, a missionary, a church planner to constantly preach the gospel to a group of people who claim to know the gospel? Why does the pastor keep emphasizing truths 
regarding salvation? Why should he continually preach Christ and him crucified? Should we fix his needle that is on the disc? He seems to be stuck on one message. Why? Why? Reason number one. Hopefully, he has a personal experience with the saving power of the gospel. That's reason number one why gospel ministers should continually preach the gospel. Because hopefully, he has personally experienced the saving power of the gospel. And I say hopefully because sadly, not all have. There are some so-called pastors and preachers who are lost. The gospel to them is nothing more than a theoretical idea, an abstract fact, a nice story. And it's no surprise that they seldom speak on the power and influence of the gospel in a personal and passionate way. But to those ministers who know Christ in sincerity and in truth, to those who know what the gospel is experientially and personally, they will be like Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, who say to the world, We cannot help but speak the things that we have seen and heard. Why does the pastor continually speak about the saving power of Jesus Christ? Why does the preacher repeat truths regarding the nature of salvation? Because if he is a true Christian, he has been changed by it. And he wants others in his midst to be changed by it as well. Like Saul of Tarsus, Acts chapter 9, having been born again, miraculously, gloriously, it is only the natural outflow of the heart to then tell others how they can be born again. Don't we find that in Saul of Tarsus? Being humbled by the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus, we read in Acts chapter 9, immediately after his conversion, he straightway preaches Christ. And he doesn't preach him as a theory. He preaches him as truth. Whereby before, Christ was just a religious idea held by some cult called the Christians that he persecuted. But now Christ has become real to him. And in this realness, everywhere he goes, he says, let me tell you what Christ did for me. Let me tell you how the gospel is the power of salvation unto those who believe. Let me tell you how Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. If Christ can forgive me, he can forgive you. So reason number one, the pastor continually preaches the gospel because if he is a true child of God, he has personally experienced the saving power of the gospel in his heart. Reason number two, Why does the pastor continually preach truths regarding the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? Because he has been personally called of God to preach such a message continually. That's reason number two. He has been personally called of God to preach a message continually. Now, looking at it from Peter's perspective, I want you to think of his unique calling into gospel ministry. When Jesus called Peter to be one of his apostles, 
You will remember that Jesus told Peter, who was a physical fisher, that he was calling him to be a fisher of men. And this evangelistic truth is repeated and reemphasized in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Mark 16, 15 and Acts chapter 1. Peter and the other disciples were called and trained as gospel ministers so that they might go into the world to preach the gospel because it's the gospel that reconciles sinful men to a holy God. God uniquely, personally calls men to the ministry. God calls men to be fishers of men. So why should preachers and pastors continually preach the gospel? Because it's their commission from Christ Himself. When God calls men into ministry, He calls them to preach the Word, not give a TED Talk. When God calls men into the ministry, He calls them to herald the truths of God, not stand up before people and be a clown. And from beginning to end, the word that they've been called to preach by Christ is all about Christ. It's all about salvation. It's all about what God has done for sinners in His grace. And the second point connects with the third point, which is the amazing, undeniable fact that the message of the gospel is the central theme of Scripture. So back to our question. Why does the pastor keep emphasizing the truth that man is sinful and incapable of saving himself? Why does he keep speaking about the fact that God is holy and holds sinners accountable for their sins? Why does he keep saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Why is he saying that faith in Jesus Christ is the only way for anyone to have peace with God? Answer, because such a message is the central theme of God's Word. You see, from beginning to end, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, the main message of the Bible is salvation. You see, this book is not a self-help book. It's not merely a book of moral virtues. It's not a collaboration of books that tell nice stories. From beginning to end, the message of the Bible is Jesus. In the Old Testament, we have the prophecies of Jesus' coming to die in the place of sinners. In the New Testament, we have the fulfillment of those prophecies through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. In the epistles, we have the message of what Christ has accomplished in His coming to earth. And then in Revelation, we have the assurance that Christ is the conquering Lamb. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, whom His people will worship for all of eternity. Did you catch it? From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Christ. So if the pastor is to preach the word faithfully, as it has been given to us by God, as it was intended to be preached, he is to help you understand that the Bible is all about Christ. And Charles Spurgeon tells his preaching students that from anywhere in the Bible... In any text, you should be able to make a beeline for the cross. If you're preaching in Genesis, if you're preaching in Leviticus, 
If you're preaching through 2 Samuel, if you're preaching through Ezra, if you're preaching through Acts, if you're preaching through 2 Thessalonians, in every book, in, in every chapter, there should be a beeline to the cross. There shouldn't be an illusion that man is sinful, God is holy, we will die in our sin, and that the only way to have eternal life is through Jesus Christ. You see, Christ is referenced and pictured in the specific prophecies. He is referenced and pictured in the types, shadows, and people of Scripture. His work of salvation is referenced in the miracles. Jesus is the theme of the prophets, the Psalms, the Song of Solomon, the rule of the kings, the history of the judges, the letters of the apostles. From beginning to end, the Bible is all about how one can become a Christian and what it means to know God. So if the pastor is to preach the word as he has been called to do, he must constantly emphasize not his message, but the Bible's main message, which is salvation by grace through faith in Christ. This is reason number three. The pastor is to preach the gospel constantly because the gospel is the central theme of Scripture. Reason number four, why should the pastor repeatedly teach and preach the saving message of the gospel? Answer, because Jesus Christ himself constantly preached the saving message of the gospel. Because Jesus Christ himself constantly preached the saving message of the gospel. I challenge you to read through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and read through it in one sitting. And take careful notice of the main message that Jesus preached over and over and over. And if you will take me up on my challenge, you will find that Jesus was the evangelist of all evangelists. He purposely confronted others with the message of salvation continually, expounding on the message of true faith versus false faith through exhortations, through parables, through miracles, to the multitudes, to individual believers, to individual people, to his disciples. Jesus was a persistent proclaimer of the true gospel. So it should be no surprise that in 2 Peter chapter 1, as well as in the epistle of 1 Peter, that Peter does the same thing that his master did. So I'm asserting to you this morning that if the pastor is to be a Christ-like preacher, the preacher must seek to mimic the practices of Christ. That makes sense. Christ is to be the pastor's main influence, not the well-respected, well-educated, dry, dead, non-confrontational preachers that fill most churches. I'm convinced that one of the reasons our churches are so dead I'm convinced why Christianity is so lifeless in our country is due to the fact that most pastors are seeking to mimic men in their preaching more than Christ. And listen, they are afraid to mimic Christ in their preaching because they know to preach like Christ, they will be hated and despised. They will be charged with being fanatical, judgmental, intolerant, and narrow-minded. They definitely won't have a mega church where no one is ever offended at the preaching. Well, I've made my commitment long ago. 
as for me and my preaching, as for me and my ministry, I'm going to strive to preach like Christ, come what may. You may not like it, but if I'm to be faithful to Christ, I need to preach like he did. I'm going to give an account to him one day, not before you, not before others. If I'm to be a faithful ambassador of Christ, then I must seek to preach the same message Christ preached. And I must preach it constantly as Christ did. So why? Why does the pastor keep preaching about man's need to be saved? Why doesn't he give us 20 minutes of comics? Calvary Baptist Church needs that one-star review on Google. The pastor is a madman. He actually believes the Bible, and he wants other people to believe it too. You want true preaching? Go to Calvary. More pass through Calvary than stay. Why? Because the pastor is just seeking to drive people off? No. Because if the pastor is faithful to the text, inevitably people are going to be offended. Why does the pastor keep preaching about man's need to be saved? Because man needs to be saved. Because Jesus continually preached that he has come to seek and save that which is lost. You mean man is lost? Yes. You mean I'm lost? Yes. In your sin, you're lost. In your sin, you will die and go to hell. There he is. The pastor said that H word. Joel Osteen never says hell. No, we warn people to flee from the wrath to come. If you die in your sin, you will face God's judgment forever. I don't say this to condemn, I say this out of love, so that you will be awakened to your need to find Christ. The pastor continually preaches about man's need to be saved because that's what Jesus preached. Man is not good. Man is evil. Brother Show read it this morning. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? You're evil. Your heart is evil. You need to be saved. You need to be washed. You need to be cleansed. And only Jesus' blood can wash you. Only Jesus' blood can cleanse you. Reason number five, why does the pastor keep calling on men to make their calling and election sure? Why does the pastor keep calling on men to examine themselves to see if they're in the faith? Why does the pastor keep calling on men to bring forth fruit worthy of repentance? Here it is. Number five, because there are always unconverted people under the sound of his voice. Listen, if there was a Judas among the gathered twelve, I think we can safely assume that there are several lost people among an assembly of sixty. If there were Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes who followed the multitude listening to Christ because they were curious about his teachings, I think it's safe to assume that in every teaching and preaching service, there are going to be people who think themselves to be saved who are lost. They think they see, end of John chapter 9, but they're blind. They're religious, they're not regenerated. And I'm of the persuasion that the pastor must never come to a place in his ministry where he assumes that everybody who walks through the doors of the church is unquestionably a true child of God. 
I don't care how nice others are. I don't care how knowledgeable of Bible truths they seem to be. I don't care how sincere they may appear, how modest they dressed, or how many years they've been associated with Christian things. If Jesus's ministry teaches us anything, it teaches us that many assemble with the saints because they like the social dynamic Christianity provides. Many assemble with the saints because they like the free meals the church gives from time to time. John chapter 6. Jesus fed the multitudes. And then he started preaching on doctrine. And many said, we don't want that. We just came for the free soup kitchen. And the disciples come and said, Jesus, don't you know you just offended people? Can't we just love them? Can't we just sing kumbaya? And pretend like everything's okay? No. Because Jesus came to preach the truth because it's the truth that sets people free. And then he points to his disciples and says, will you two go away? No, no. You have the words of life. If Jesus' ministry teaches us anything, it teaches us that there are many, many who call Jesus Lord who do not the things he says. There are many who in the final day of judgment will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works? And Jesus will say unto them, I never knew you. Now listen, there are people here this morning. There are people listening online who are deceived. They think that because one time they walked an aisle, one time they prayed a sinner's prayer, that they're good with God. Though their life has never been changed. There are some who are resting on their baptism, on their good works to get them to heaven. There are others who are curious, who've never heard the message of salvation. There are some who grew up Catholic, some who were affiliated with various cults that call themselves Christians. There are some who are slow to believe, some who are resistant to the truth, some who've been taught wrong about God for years, who need to be biblically reprogrammed. So the pastor preaches about justification by faith, the righteousness of Christ, the illumination of the Spirit, the sufficiency of the blood atonement, the radical depravity of man, the love that's been demonstrated through Calvary's cross because the pastor is to be a man who watches for the souls of men. The pastor preaches the gospel continually because he knows that many are still lost and he doesn't want them to die and go to hell. The pastor preaches the gospel to others over and over and over because he doesn't listen. He doesn't want those under the sound of his voice to stand before the Lord one day and say, no one told me what it means to be saved. I went to church every Sunday for two months and I never heard the gospel. The pastor never confronted me of my false hope and my false assurance. I cannot bear the thought. Charles Spurgeon says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. I don't want anyone's blood to be on my hands. 
One of the chief reasons the pastor preaches the gospel consistently is largely due to the fact that he knows that lost people are always among the congregation. They always are. Family members coming to visit other family members, people passing through to visit Joshua Tree National Park, people who are curious about what the Christian faith is always about. Every Sunday, there's always somebody who doesn't know Christ. That's reason number five. Reason number six, why does the pastor preach the gospel in some way from one Lord's Day to the next? Here it is, so that he might establish true believers in their faith. So that he might establish Christians in the faith. Now, under this point, let me give you three uniting subpoints that further explain what I mean. It's important for Christians to recognize that consistent gospel preaching will help you to have a deeper and sweeter relationship with Christ. Consistent gospel preaching, if you are a true believer, will help you to have a deeper and sweeter relationship with Christ. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. In other words, the gospel is not just for those outside of Christ. The gospel is for those who know Christ. You see, Christians are not only saved by the gospel, they're sanctified by the gospel. As we hear the gospel preached to our hearers, preached to our hearts more and more, what does it do? It humbles us. It causes us to be in awe of who God is and what God has done for us in Christ. It produces within us a deeper appreciation for the grace of Christ. It ignites within us a desire to worship Him in spirit and in truth. As we are continually confronted with the truth that salvation is all of God's choosing, all of God's love, all of God's grace, all of God's drawing, all of God opening the heart, doesn't it lead us to the place where we say with Paul, the love of Christ constrains me? And that he died for me, that he died for all Christians, that they which live should not henceforth live to themselves, but unto him which died and rose again. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth within me, and the life that I now live, I live by the faith, catch it, of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't it the gospel that enables us to forgive others, be ye kind, tender-hearted, forgiving, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you? Oh, I can never forgive them. You don't know what they did to me. Well, what did you do to Christ? How much did he forgive you? Seventy times seven, Peter? And you can't forgive others? If you can't forgive others, God can't forgive you. You don't know what the gospel is. You've never been changed by it. How did Joseph forgive his brothers? Selling him to slavery. Years separated from his father. Enduring mental anguish. Spiritual depression, I'll tell you, because he knew the gospel. Consistent gospel preaching will help God's people have a deeper and sweeter relationship with Christ. Sunday school, we sang about this. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, and I wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Who am I that God should bestow his love upon me? What did I do but rebel against him and turn from him and deny him over and over and over? You see, it humbles us. 
It brings us to the place where we adore Christ as He is. Subpoint number two, consistent gospel preaching will help true believers avoid being lured by false preaching. It'll help true believers avoid being allured by false preaching. What Peter says in chapter 1 is setting up for his message in chapter 2. In chapter 2, Peter declares that there are false prophets who speak for God, who are preaching a false gospel among the influences of Christ's church. So the practical point of this is the more God's people are exposed to the truth of God's word and the reality of the true biblical gospel, the more they will beware of the lies of Satan. They will be aware of false messengers preaching a false message. Gospel ministers continually preach the truth of the gospel because they don't want those under their care to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. He doesn't want those in his congregation to be bewitched, Galatians chapter 1, hoodwinked, seduced by destructive messages from wolves in sheep's clothing. You know how bankers can tell a fake dollar from a real dollar? Because they're always dealing with the real, genuine dollar. So they can see it, they can feel it, they just know it. When it comes across their fingers, they can spot it. And so it is with true teaching. The more true teaching we get when false teaching comes our way, we'll spot it. Subpoint number three, consistent gospel preaching will help believers know the gospel thoroughly so that they might share the gospel biblically. It'll help believers to know the gospel thoroughly so that they might then share the gospel biblically. If God's people are to be ambassadors for Christ among their family, in their workplace, in the community, around their neighborhood, it's vital that they share the gospel in its fullness in a faithful way. Ephesians 4, 12, what's the job of a pastor? Here it is. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the maturing, the perfecting of the saints, and for the work of the ministry. And what is the greatest work of ministry but the declaring of the truths of the gospel? So how does the church come to know the truths of the gospel? Most won't pick up a theological work and read about the gospel. Most won't read through the Puritan theological works. They just won't. So it's the pastor's job to teach the church what the gospel is over and over and over so that they will get it right. That's where the silly little pray this prayer, now you pray the prayer, now you're a Christian, has come from. They haven't proclaimed the true gospel. So we preach the gospel on a consistent basis so to establish believers in the faith. Point number seven is an obvious point, but a point that needs to be repeated nonetheless. The pastor is to preach the gospel ceaselessly because God's people are prone to forget. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to forget the truths of God. I think what Martin Luther says is helpful. Martin Luther says, every week I preach justification by faith to my people because every week they forget it. Let me prove my point. What did I preach two weeks ago? Don't look at your notes. What did I preach last Sunday? Guess what? The pastor doesn't even remember. Unless he thinks through it real hard. In other words, listen, among all the cares of life, among the amusements, the temptations, the distractions, as finite sinful people who deal with the effects of the fall, we are prone to forget the glorious truths of the gospel. 
Which goes to show then that we need to be reminded of such truths. So Peter says, remember, 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 remember. I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance. I think it necessary as long as I'm in this body, as long as I'm in ministry, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Moreover, I will endeavor, I will strive, I will make it my aim that you may be after my decease to have these things in remembrance. If I die next week, I want you to say, Pastor constantly preached the gospel. And by His grace, we know it more than when we did last year. God's people are prone to forget, so we need to be reminded. And then point number eight is the fact that repetition is the key to learning. Repetition is the key to learning. Why do gospel messengers feel it's necessary to repeat themselves over and over and over? Here it is. Because two plus two equals four. Two plus two equals four. Two plus two equals four. Five times five equals... Come on, homeschoolers. Twenty-five. The vowels of the alphabet are, how'd you know that? It was grained within you, yeah? And you said, not another time. We've done this a thousand times already. Teacher, help me out, King School. A-E-I-O-U. Sometimes. If your child is learning an instrument, uh uh-oh. Same note. Same song. Over and over and over. My Bonnie lies over the ocean. My Bonnie lies over the sea. Bring back my Bonnie to me. Again, my Bonnie lies over the ocean. My Bonnie lies over the sea. Repetition is the key to learning. Do you know how many times God repeats himself in the Bible? Over and over and over. In 66 books, over and over and over. Search out how many times God says that he's great, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's just, he's the only God, he's the creator. You do realize that the Ten Commandments are given in the Bible twice. The book of Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. Paul shares his testimony twice. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Not once, not twice, but three times. What? Didn't he get it the first time? Well, he was a Pharisee steeped in tradition. He needs to know. It's not you, Nicodemus. It's the work of God. You must be born again. In the Gospels, we have repeated the same parables, the same stories, and so forth. And this teaches us that God's method of teaching, God's method of learning involves repetition. Do I need to state it again? God's method of teaching involves repetition. That's it. That's why pastors, it seems, are stuck on one note. There's a reason for it, and Peter gives us that reason here in 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, having given you eight biblically fashioned reasons why the pastor ought to preach the gospel to his hearers continually, let me conclude by giving you three quick points of application. All right? We've looked at the what, now the why, now the how, now the what. In light of these truths we've considered from 2 Peter 1, 12-15, as well as the entirety of God's Word, I'm persuaded that such truths should lead God's people to desire the pastor and preacher to constantly preach the gospel. Listen, if you are a believer here this morning, you should desire God's messenger to keep preaching Christ. 
didn't seem like you were bored with Amazing Grace this morning. That's an old song. Should we be done with it? We've sung it for years. We've sung it hundreds of times. But the words are so rich. We need to be reminded, I once was blind, now I see. I once was lost, now I'm found. It's, it's only grace that taught my heart to fear. It's God's amazing grace and His grace alone. We need to desire gospel preachers to constantly preach the gospel. And to be clear, I'm not talking about some 30-second add-on at the end of a message. Oh, by the way, after talking about myself for 50 minutes, let me just give you a quick glimpse of the gospel. No, I'm talking about the all-inclusive, multifaceted fullness of God's work of salvation. If you belong to Christ this morning, you should support those pastors who are seeking to do as God commands of them. You should want your pastor to preach the features of the gospel continually, not only for your own soul, but for the souls of others. Listen, if you're inviting people to church, several of you are telling me that you are. You're taking gospel tracts, church invitations, and you are being diligent to invite people to come on Sundays. And if they come, you should want the pastor to say something about who God is, who Christ is, what Christ has done for sinners, and how they should know the forgiveness of sins. The local church should be a body that's gospel-focused. And if your church doesn't preach the gospel, your church is lacking the power of God, for the gospel is the power of God. So support the pastor in his endeavor. It's biblical. Christians should never get tired of hearing the basics of the Christian life. They should never get tired of hearing that message that first brought them to Christ. We should rejoice every time Christ is preached. We should glory in His name. And if your pastor doesn't preach the gospel regularly, listen, eventually you'll have a church filled with lost people. If the pastor assumes everyone who comes to church is saved and he never calls for self-examination, mark my word, such a church is going to be filled with unregenerate people who are cold towards God. So if you are a true believer, you should desire your pastor to constantly preach the gospel so praise God when He does. Pray for Him when He does. Welcome it when He does. Don't resist it. There's a reason behind it. Reason number two, if your pastor doesn't... No, this is response number two. If your pastor doesn't regularly preach the gospel, listen, you should be worried. That's the application. If your pastor doesn't regularly preach the gospel, you should be worried. And you should be worried because he is not a biblical preacher. He's not a Christ-like preacher. And I say this because there are people who visit our congregation from another congregation. There are people who listen online, who go to a different church. And my question to them is, if your pastor doesn't regularly preach the gospel, what is he preaching? Truly, what is he preaching? Is he preaching that everyone is good? That we all are naturally children of God? That heaven and hell are not real? Was he preaching that the new birth is a fairy tale? Does he merely present the facts of Scripture with no gospel appeal? With no application to the heart? What is he preaching? Jesus has a theory, not truth. Evangelist George Whitfield says in the 1800s, 1700s, he says, quote, mere heathen morality. And not Jesus Christ is preached in most of our churches. He says, mere morality. 
is preached in most churches, not Christ. And I believe this is true in our day. Churches are filled with messages on how to be a good dad, how to be a good mom, how to be a successful businessman, how God is for you, how God can be your good luck charm. Listen, if your pastor is not preaching the gospel on a regular basis, it's time to confront him or it's time to look for another church. Listen, at any given time, you should be able to go through the pastor's sermons online over the last month and point to specific sermons where he's bringing out the fact that man is sinful, man is incapable of saving himself. Regeneration is through the Spirit's power. God elects, God saves, God illuminates, Christ redeems. Heaven and hell are real and faith is the only way to God. You should point to specific sermons that bring out those facts. And if he doesn't, your pastor's not preaching the Bible. If your pastor's not preaching these themes, don't consider him to be a gospel preacher, even if he calls himself a gospel preacher. I'm setting this as the foundation of my ministry. If I ever stop preaching Christ and Him crucified, then you have every right to approach me. You have every right to be concerned and you have every right to get together with the church and vote me out. You ever heard a pastor say that? Tell his congregation he has every right to vote him out? Yes. If a pastor is not preaching the gospel, there's no power. We've lost our purpose as a church because the church is to be a lighthouse of the gospel to this dark and perverse world. And the pastors to lead the way in that. So if your pastor is not preaching this application, what is he preaching? And then third and finally, most importantly, if you are here this morning hearing once again another sermon on the gospel, but you have not yet believed it, you've not received it as your own, I call on you now in this moment to repent and believe on Christ. Listen, the pastor can preach the gospel a thousand times until he is blue in the face. But it will not profit your soul unless it's applied to your soul. So have you believed the gospel? Have you received it? Has there been a time and a place marked by a change where you've come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you've known that you are not good before God? You are unrighteous before God. And you do not deserve heaven. You deserve hell. And God would be good and just to cast you away from His presence for all of eternity because of your rebellion against Him. Has there been a time and a place convicted by your sin, that thought that you are unrighteous before God, where then God has shown you that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save not just sinners, but you. Has God turned you to Himself? Has God shown you that it's only by grace that you can be saved? God forbid that I should preach a message about preaching the gospel and not ask you about your receiving of the gospel. Let me ask it this way. I'm not only asking, have you believed it? But maybe it's the question that you need, will you believe it? Will you believe it now? Will you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Will you believe that Jesus has power on earth to forgive you of your sin? Will you believe that there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved? Will you believe 
that it is through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that can make you right with God. Will you believe it now? What's keeping you back from believing on His name? Your pride? Your religiosity? Your self-sufficiency? What's keeping you back? Many listened to Jesus preaching the gospel and they died in their sins. Can you fathom that? They listened to the perfect preacher preach with the authority of the Spirit and not as the scribe. They heard God in the flesh and still they died in their sins. And Jesus says, if you will not believe, you will die in your sins. And so he says, choose life. Come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what you do. You turn away from yourself. You look to Christ. John's message was, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. You look. Isaiah 45, God says, look unto me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. A child can look. A simple Christ." Childlike faith can look, look, look away from yourselves, look away from your work, look away from your affiliation, and look to Jesus Christ. If you look to Him, you can have life.